This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamaliti. I think my favorite thing about this whole learning process of, of tasting whiskey has been the fact that I started out really skeptical of those tasting notes that you hear. They, they, they sound so ridiculous. And you're thinking, okay, if you're putting grain into a pot and distilling alcohol from it, how could you possibly be tasting vanilla or pineapple or whatever else the heck you're saying? But then the more reading that you do and, and the more learning that you do, you find out why these flavors are imparted. And it's very interesting to learn about the chemistry and the fact that these flavors do exist. I'm Mary Mamaliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting with, some of you may know him and have heard his uh, smooth introduction at the beginning of each episode, uh, Matt Agnew. He's the producer and editor of this show. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mary. How's it going? Good. How's it going? I'm doing well, thanks. Now, the reason why I have you on this show, and I'm so excited to talk to you, I'm looking forward to this because I know nothing about it. We're going to be talking about whiskey. Yes. And and thank you, by the way, for letting me out from the uh, editing suite to join you on the show here. <laughs> well, I'm sure everyone wants to hear from you. <laughs> well, this is, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, this is one of my one of my big hobbies. Uh, I really like uh, whiskey and whiskey tasting, and uh, yeah, I just I find the chemistry behind the whole thing uh, fascinating. So I'm excited to to share more of that with you. I know zero about whiskey, so I want you to take me and the listeners, hopefully, all the way through from the beginning. So if you tell us a little bit about how you actually got interested into learning about whiskey, flavors, profiles, all that good stuff. First of all, it's just a good drink. Um, it, it just kind of started that uh, you know out with friends and decided to try a scotch. Um, in fact, I, I think it started even earlier than that because um, I always remember at my my grandparents' house, my granddad had quite the whiskey board, uh, kind of in the, uh, on a side table in the dining room, and uh, had lots of you know really really interesting looking uh, bottles and and things like that. And so it's just it's a really diverse drink there's lots to explore and lots to discover um i think it can be daunting for a lot of people because there's there's just so much to choose from but i think that's kind of the cool the cool thing about it you know i've i've been drinking and and tasting whiskey for years now and and uh, still just kind of put a put a uh, scratch on the surface of of what there is out there um, the other thing about whiskey is that it's accessible at almost any price bracket. Like there, you don't have to drop hundreds of dollars on a really fancy bottle of scotch. It's interesting to explore the curve of diminishing results. You know what I mean? Like, can you taste the difference between a $40 uh, bottle of scotch versus a 150? Probably there's a pr- pretty big jump there. But then if you jump from 150 to you know, you could easily spend north of a thousand dollars on a bottle of, you know, nice old scotch. Okay, but is something like that wasted on someone like me who knows absolutely nothing about it? Because you do sample, you taste, you know exactly what you're looking for. You can discern the difference between the two, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, let me say first, Mary, that I would never, ever recommend anybody to snub the opportunity at a thousand dollar bottle of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> If you get that opportunity, you need to take it. But how would I know that it's a thousand dollars? Because I don't drink it. 
when we sit there, and even when I was talking to you about this, you talk about the different notes within the scotch or within whiskey in general. And that's something I, how can I pick this out? Why don't, why don't we start with um, the distilling process? And that, that helps to kind of, um, understanding the chemistry behind what, what's happening uh, will help to understand where these different flavors come from. So the distillation process starts with selecting uh, your grain and all whiskey is is um, distilled from some kind of grain mash and it can be a combination most most traditional ones are uh, barley rye and corn um, and those kind of determine what what type or style uh, the whiskey will be uh, some are, are blends and some are um, only one kind of grain so you can blend you can blend the, the different grains Yes, yeah, you can you can blend them up. Canadian whiskey is a great example of um, blended grains, um, and a lot of that has to do with the history and and access to the type of grain. So Canadian whiskey is coming mainly from the prairies, right? With with right. access to a lot of different types. But then you also have even some, you know, craft brewing is becoming uh, really really popular. But so is craft distilling. Um, and so more places are starting up and they're experimenting with different things that we have access to now in, in our uh, Canadian markets, things like quinoa. So yeah, you're, you're seeing, seeing some experimentation with some unconventional uh, kinds of grains and, and the kind of products those are coming up with. Um, but that's, that's definitely the base of, of the distilling process and it has a big impact on the flavor. So it starts with the grain. It starts with the grain and then what kind of yeast Alcohol is pretty flavorless, actually. Mm-hmm. It's all these extra byproducts um, from the microbial cultures and the uh, yeast byproducts, um, those sorts of things that are adding a lot of flavor. Um, but there's there's different there's kind of different categories, and during the distilling process, it allows yeah. to sort of separate those out. So it's the strain of yeast that makes different flavors pull from each batch. That's right. During the distilling process, we're separating those out. So um, after one run through the pot still, say, um, you, you might have something that is kind of like a flavoring whiskey. So it's still got a lot of those esters and congeners, those byproducts of the yeast fermentation. The distiller would barrel those separately. That's usually called a flavoring whiskey. Mm-hmm. So it's still got a lot of those rich, interesting flavors. Um, but then they might run it through the, a separate batch through the, the distilling process again to allow the alcohol... Um, to re- be refined more and it, it lets you clarify some more complex flavors mm-hmm. um, and then that will be barreled separately as well. The last thing I just want to touch on is the, the barreling. The barrels themselves uh, also impart a lot of flavor to the whiskey. Um, oh yeah. Wood uh, of course is very porous um, and the barrels are stored in an unclimate controlled environment because it takes advantage of the fact that when, when the wood expands, it draws an amount of, of whiskey into the wood, into the porousness of the wood. And then when it contracts, again, in the cold, it releases it back into, into the mix. So as it's absorbed into the wood, it's taking on um, a lot of the natural sugars in the wood. Barrels, can, they can be new, they can be charred. And when the barrel is charred, essentially using a torch, um, it starts to caramelize those sugars in the wood. And so that can kind of help the maturing process as well. Um, Sometimes a distiller might barrel in a used barrel. So maybe a barrel uh, the first time was used to age bourbon. It's been sold and now used to age a Canadian rye. So it's imparting some of those flavors of the bourbon as well oh so they'll mix that up they won't stick with one barrel is strictly just for 
um, whiskey and one is specifically for bourbon. They'll they'll, use, they'll reuse each barrel on each one. Uh, yeah, so, so it, and it, it depends on the distiller, it uh, depends on the type of whiskey, but uh, yeah, these, so these barrels are, are still kind of in circulation. So yeah, those, those are the different things that are imparting a lot of flavor to uh, the, the, the whiskey. Can you describe the differences between the big taste categories in whiskey? For sure. So um, three of the really big categories, I suppose, um, you'd have uh, bourbon, Canadian whiskeys, uh, and scotch. And those kind of reflect um, a big difference in the type of grain that's being used, the fermentation process, uh, and, the, and the distilling process. Um, bourbon tends to be uh, really complex, intense. It's a young alcohol. It's only aged usually about three years. And so it's it has a lot of really uh, interesting, complex flavors, but really, really intense because of that young alcohol. Canadian rye whiskeys can be a little more mellow and, and full-bodied, um, they tend not to have like a really focused flavor profile. Um, instead, it's a much more broad combination of a lot of different flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got scotch, which um, there's a lot of different regions. And so scotch, while, while it's kind of a category in its own separate from Canadian whiskey, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a really big umbrella. But typically, you tend to have flavors that are a little bit smokier because of uh, the use of peat in their drying process. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a bit more thin, maybe more refined, um, and and they have more pronounced flavor profiles. Okay, this one's for me though. So when you say, if someone says they're ordering a rye and coke or rye and ginger, a rye is a whiskey. So when you say whiskey, it's encompassing all yeah, of them, Yeah, so um, I mean, we kind of shorten the name, but bourbon is bourbon whiskey, rye is rye whiskey, scotch is scotch whiskey. And it, it all just depends on what it's made with, how it's made, and how it's aged and stored. Mm, okay. So what makes up the flavor profile of whiskey? Right. So these sorts of things um, are coming from the byproducts of fermentation with the yeast. Because when you're distilling whiskey, you're not putting cinnamon or pear peels or citrus or any of that. You're not putting any of that in during the distilling process. So when, when we refer to stuff like that, you'll find flavors that remind you of something. And it's, it's just this sort of terminology that kind of helps you to describe it. So um, kind of the, the main categories that you might find are spices like cinnamon, pepper. You might find fruits like pear, apple, cherry, or fruits more like citrus. From there, you could maybe find some uh, floral flavors, something like rosemary or coriander or elderflower. You'll also have sugars. Uh, Things like brown sugar, molasses, uh, licorice, maybe. Um, I actually just, I tried recent, very recently a uh, really unique whiskey from Banff, BC. And it's one of these craft distillers. And what they've done is they, they did a rye whiskey, but they didn't age it at all. They bottled it right after the distillation process. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is technically it's not even whiskey. It's a unaged grain spirit. Um, and it had this really interesting, powerful, focused flavor because, of course, it's not taking on flavors from from the barrel, from being mixed with with other more flavorful whiskeys. So it had this really intense red licorice flavor. Mm-hmm. And it took me a really long time to put my finger on it. There was something so familiar about the flavor. Um, so, yeah, th- those, those kind of sugars um, are definitely pronounced. Wood flavors that, of, of course, are, are going to be mostly imparted by the barreling. So you might have oak, walnut maybe pecan flavors and then there's just some some other things that uh that you might find in there vanilla is a commonly described uh flavor in, in scotch mm-hmm. uh, you might find ginger uh peat that smokiness that we talk about 
So yeah, there, there's a lot of different interesting flavors that you find. And when you're tasting that, what you're really tasting is the byproduct of fermentation uh, or, or maybe the barrels and, and, and things like that. Um, but there's no actual additives during the distillation process that would make you taste blackberry, for example. What can people do to develop their palates? So I'm, I'm not uh, a sommelier. This is just kind of a hobby of mine. But what I found really helpful is for people to find a baseline. Um, my favorite whiskey and one that I've been drinking for years, it's called Forty Creek. Um, it's distilled from barley and corn, distilled in two separate batches. One is aged in new American white oak and one is aged in uh, ex-bourbon barrels. They're aged for around six years and then they're blended on bottling. And so knowing all that and, and kind of, you know, like I, like I mentioned, it, it's my baseline. And so um, I've got a really good idea of the different flavors in that. But then when I branch out, I can kind of compare the flavors that are likely to have come from differences in the mash, right? So if, if, if my favorite whiskey is distilled from barley and corn, and I try some, something else that's um, distilled from rye, you, you can kind of tell like those, those certain differences are, are tied to one of those things, right? So it's, it's the corn mash, it's the um, aging, it's the barreling. Those um, major differences kind of inform uh, what you're tasting. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that Forty Creek happened to be established in 1992, which is when I was born. So, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a funny coincidence, but it really is actually, and that's what you use as your baseline. <laughs> so yeah, have, have that, that way, or it just happened. Maybe meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> what role does smell play in developing the palate? Smell is interesting. Um, it plays a pretty big role. Um, there's certain things that you, you might be able to detect smell-wise that, that are maybe a little bit tougher to, to uncover um, flavor-wise. The tricky thing with whiskey, though, is it is quite powerful. I mean, it's, whiskey is typically 40%, uh, some stronger. And so that, that first whiff, you know, people will often just think, oh, that's like jet fuel. No, no, I can't. I, you know, I can't. Um, it's because you're getting that strong whiff of, whiff of alcohol. Um, and, it, and it can be tough to get past. Um, what a lot of people recommend is to just kind of take it like a, a quick nosing first um, to try and get, absorb that and kind of get past it a little bit and, and, uh, and then kind of longer and longer and longer after that as you're sort of pushing past that alcohol and trying to find those more subtle aromas. Now, Frank calls me bloodhound because I smell everything. I can smell something from a mile away. And the thing with whiskeys is when I go to take a sip of it, it's that first scent of that strong whiskey. Interesting you, you mentioned tasting whiskey with uh, your sense of smell. Mm -hmm. Something I have noticed, um, I'm not sure if this is you know a phenomenon recognized in professional tasting or anything like that, mm. but I have noticed um, something that can be really off-putting uh, when, when you're drinking whiskey. People tend to take a little breath in just before they have a drink of, of anything, whether, you know, coffee, water, whatever. Exactly. Uh, when you do that with whiskey, it really, because your nose is right in, in that tumbler and you're going to get a powerful kick of that alcohol. Like I was mentioning earlier, you want to take that yeah. sort of like small whiff first. But if, if you're kind of doing that thing uh, that you would, you know, drink, you know, say water normally, that little breath in, um, you're going to get really kicked in the nose of that powerful oh, yeah. alcohol. And it's kind of going to affect your, 
you know, your experience, it's, it's going to kind of, you can be focused on that rather than the, the taste and the complexness of the drink. Oh, well, I mean, that got this Italian nose. It's right in my tumbler, but <laughs> <laughs> so I'm inhaling all of it. So for me, I guess the best thing to do is try not to take that big gulp of air beforehand. That's right. Yeah. What if you wanted to kind of taste a few of them in one sitting? Is there something that you would recommend or use as a subtle kind of a palate cleanser? I mean, we have it in between meals with food, but is there something you can do for uh, whiskeys when you're tasting a few of them? Absolutely. So tasting a few whiskeys at a time is an awesome way to sort of develop your palate. Um, y- you get to pick out those differences uh, immediately rather than, you know, if week to week or month to month, you know, opening a different bottle sort of thing. But when you're nosing the whiskey, um, actually smelling your own skin kind of resets your nose because it, it's a it's sort of a neutral smell that you're used to really and uh, yeah it, it resets your nose it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon um and that can help you to kind of push past that uh, strong alcohol smell just kind of reset every so often in tasting there's these sort of like i guess they're specialty crackers like palate cleansing crackers they, they're really bland they have no taste um and they kind of absorb you know excess alcohol and saliva in your mouth um they're, they're very dry but um, I find arrowroot crackers have a really similar effect. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I, of course, those are available anywhere. So. Exactly. Something that you mentioned to me that I think our listeners would love is there's a cool tip you mentioned about bringing out the other flavors, doing something to your, your tumbler of uh, whiskey that brings out some hidden flavors in your, in your glass. Yeah, so there, there's um, there's a couple interesting things that you can do. Uh, one thing that happens with whiskey, um, because there, there's a lot of different, as I mentioned, byproducts that, that make up the flavor profile, um, and there's a lot of different densities going on in there. And so what tends to happen sometimes is when, um, especially after bottling, when a bottle is uh, sat for a long time, um, those uh, those kind of molecules of the other byproducts, they can kind of settle. Uh, down to the bottom and alcohol um, it's less dense so that that's kind of sits on top so what what people do sometimes um, is you just put like two or three drops of of, um, like distilled water you would call it two drops to bloom is kind of the uh, the phrase and what it does is it um, just dropping that water in there just kind of stirs everything up and it it moves those uh, those flavor molecules around and it brings out the complexity of the drink a little bit more. I'm a beginner starting out. Should I start with ice in my glass or no ice? So on the rocks or, or straight? You know what? Some purists will tell you that uh, you never drink an ice scotch with ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I agree with that, honestly, there's no wrong way to drink your, your whiskey. So um, if you enjoy it better over ice, mm-hmm. go for it. Um, if, if it kind of dilutes it down a little bit. I would say if you're going to do that, look for um, spherical ice molds. Use one big chunk of ice. The sphere molds uh, work really well, I find. Because oh, I've it, seen them, yes. It cools your whiskey, maybe maybe dilutes it down a little bit. But when it's one large chunk of ice, it tends to melt much less quickly. Um, so then you don't end up with a beautiful 18-year-old scotch that has been watered down times three. But that's an interesting point is that uh, temperature has a big effect on whiskey. So water will stir up those flavor molecules a little bit, but uh, temperature will affect them. So ice is one thing, but you can also use a mulling stone. Usually it's like a, like a soapstone rock. And what you do is you, you can either put it in the oven or you can uh, pour boiling water over it. 
and then you move the the hot stone and you put it in your uh, tumbler and the temperature really brings out some different and interesting parts of of the whiskey that uh, uh, maybe are not present at room temperature that's interesting because i've always thought of you know chilling something never the reverse to heat it up to bring out other flavors. Yeah, it's really interesting. So whenever I'm trying a new uh, bottle of something, I'll always try it with a little bit of water. Uh, another time I'll try it over ice and another time I'll try it with a mulling stone. And it kind of uh, gives you the, yeah, the, the breadth uh, of, of the experience. So if they don't have a mulling stone, can someone just heat up their glass slightly? Sure. Yeah, maybe you could do that. Um, if, if the glass is warm with hot water, it maybe won't warm your whiskey to the point of a mulling stone, but it definitely have a similar, if, if not slightly more subtle effect. Right. So it's a little warmer than room temperature, but... Okay, now what about pairings? People tend to pair whiskeys with red meats. Um, I mean, you kind of uh, get get the Ron Swanson sort of uh, idea of your scotch with your 32 ounce porterhouse steak yeah. and your potatoes and, you know, meat and potatoes and yeah. scotch sort of people's go-to uh, kind of thing, but um, they can go really great with appetizers before dinner. Um, most distillers have their own tasting notes. So if, if you kind of match those with something that you're serving before dinner, um, you can really kind of match some interesting flavors um, a couple of weeks back on the show, we had Jeff Faber, who's um, a chef and uh, was working out in the Niagara region. And he was telling us um, about uh, an appetizer that he did there with uh, seasonal golden beets and goat cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could pair really nicely with sort of a Speyside region scotch, which they tend to have really pronounced uh, honey flavors. So there's, there's certain things um, like that that you can kind of pair up. Okay, I can um, do that. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely do that. Now this, I'm curious, with whiskey, is it something that people tend to drink? Is it more an after-dinner drink? Is it more a pre-dinner drink? Is it something where you just sit and, like you mentioned, just appetizers or finger foods or something? Or is it just a drink that you can have anytime? To be honest, I feel personally it's a drink to be had anytime, um, provided it's after, you know, four o'clock. Somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> somewhere after that but uh it, interesting that you mentioned like dessert um one of one of my favorite pairings actually a really dark complex bourbon like woodford reserve and a bowl of french vanilla ice cream oh you pour it on top i do not pour it on top oh. but i consume both you know the same together time. okay so you uh, could, you could technically pour it on top you could if you wanted yeah. to not my preferred delivery method, but sure. You could just get right in there and pour it over like maple syrup. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Okay, I can it's, do that as well. Excellent. They complement each other quite nicely, I have to say. But yeah, there's, um, there's great pairings for whether it's, whether it's uh, yeah, like your, your main meal, appetizers, dessert afterwards, whatever. It's, uh, there's lots of great pairings out there. Honestly, after talking about whiskey all this and you're describing it and the flavors. I actually want to try it. <laughs> like I seriously want cool, to try yeah. it now. Yeah. I've tried it once, but hearing you describe it and explain it in a way where someone like me, who's never um, even thought about whiskey in that way, in that sense, wants to actually try it now Yeah. with a, with a different view on it. I think my favorite thing about like, you know, the, this whole learning process of, of tasting whiskey um, has been the fact that uh, like I, I started out really um, 
skeptical and uh, I guess mocking of those tasting notes that you hear. They, they, they sound so ridiculous and you're thinking, okay, if you're putting grain into a pot and distilling mm-hmm. alcohol from it, how could you possibly be tasting vanilla or pineapple or whatever else the heck you're saying? But then uh, the, the more reading that you do and, and the more learning that you do, um, you find out why these flavors are imparted and it's, uh, yeah, it just, it just it, it's very interesting to learn about the chemistry and the fact that these flavors do exist and there is a reason that they're in there as a part of this whole big stew in, well, in the mix. I think we're all guilty of that. I do it all the time. I talk about these notes and how can someone, you know, decipher between a floral and a vanilla and this and that. But I think it's because we do it more to camouflage the fact that we know nothing about it <laughs> but when you start like you said learning about it like we did here and you're telling me and you're teaching me about all these different processes and what actually brings out those those tastes those um flavors it makes me look at it very differently right yeah okay so i think frank this afternoon frank and i are going to be sitting there with whiskeys in front of us that's amazing if you don't hear from me later you'll know i've passed out <laughs> <laughs> an afternoon well spent <laughs> Can you leave us with a recipe of your favorite pairing or a recipe for something that we can maybe even cook with? Who knows? Yeah. So I have been experimenting in the kitchen a little bit. And often uh, when I cook, I do enjoy to have uh, a little bit of whiskey off to the side there for personal consumption. Um, Mm -hmm. But sometimes uh, that makes its way into the cooking a little bit. And uh, I came across a really cool uh, recipe uh, a while back. Um, So it's a pork tenderloin with a bourbon brown butter sauce. Mm, that sounds good. It's very good. So all, all you do is, so you rub down the tenderloin with olive oil, salt, and pepper. Um, you're going to sear it in a cast iron pan on all sides. Um, and then you're going to move it to the oven at 300 until it's at an internal temperature of uh, 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're just going to kind of slow cook that. Um, and then you're going to move the pan back onto the stovetop and, and pop it on medium to low heat move the tenderloin to a board and cover it in tin foil to let it rest while it's resting deglaze the pan because you've got lots of great um flavors going on in there from that's always the best flavor yeah so you're going to deglaze that with two ounces of bourbon add a quarter cup of butter and a clove of minced garlic and then you're going to let that cook for about five to eight minutes you got to stir it constantly to keep the butter from burning but you want the butter to sort of uh, bubble a little bit and and start to turn um kind of a, a light to medium brown um, and, uh, and then just add a little bit of fresh thyme and ground coriander to taste and drizzle that over your sliced pork tenderloin. Oh my gosh. That sounds good. It's really fantastic. I would probably do like a little side of corn, maybe some rice, something. Mm-hmm. That'd appear very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. Now I'm hungry. How about gift giving? Yeah. You know what? Um, e- even, even if whiskey's not for you, um, even if after all this, you, you go and, and you do a whiskey tasting and still feel it tastes a lot like gasoline, I guarantee you, <laughs> you know somebody that is super into whiskey. We're kind of coming up to the holiday season soon-ish. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd share a couple uh, ideas with you guys, um, uh, gifts for the whiskey lover in your life or for yourself. Three books to check out. Number one is called Whiskey, What to Drink Next. And that's by Dominic Roscoe. This book is really interesting. Uh, it kind of takes you through all the different categories of, of whiskey because th- there's just so many. It even touches on some of those craft distillery uh, ones that I was telling you about that experiment with, you know, 
quinoa and oak whiskeys or oat whiskeys rather um all the different regions of Scotland and it gives you a little bit of history. It gives you um, three different types to try from that category. And it kind of rates things from you kind of least expensive and widely available to pretty rare. So it's, it's great for a range of people and it's got a really interesting diagram that helps you on your way to sort of um, comparing tasting notes. Another one, which is the source of a lot of my uh, knowledge on this is a book called Canadian whiskey, second edition. It's by Davin de Kergomu, and uh, it's, it's got a lot of the history of Canadian distilleries about prohibition, but it's got a lot of really interesting information on the process itself. That's an excellent one as well. And finally, um, Jim Murray, uh, a guy named Jim Murray, he is one of the biggest names in whiskey, and he releases Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible. Uh, there's a new, new edition uh, every year. Lots of great information, and, and he always uh, does his top-rated whiskeys of the year. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of really interesting stuff in there. Um, and that actually leads me to, you want to gift a bottle of whiskey. There's a lot of really interesting options out there um, for really reasonable prices. That'd be great, because I know a lot of people that are whiskey drinkers and would love a, something gifted to them. Okay, well, you're going to love this. So, um, Jim Murray in uh, 2017, uh, named Crown Royal Harvest Rye, uh, distilled in Winnipeg, the top Canadian whiskey of the year. It costs $35 at the LCBO. Okay. It's an amazing whiskey, really great starter if you're uh, looking to buy someone, uh, buy for someone uh, who's just getting into tasting um, mm-hmm. or is a, a seasoned uh, veteran. I'll also plug my favorite whiskey, 40 Creek Barrel Select, $30. That's distilled in Grinsby, Ontario, um, and is, is a great, great whiskey uh, for baselines. That's my baseline whiskey. Then there's the Canadian Club Classic 12-Year. Canadian Club is kind of a brand that has a bit of a bad rep for just, you know, being that, that jet fuel uh, suitable only to cut with ginger ale sort of, sort of thing. But, uh, okay, I've heard that. I have definitely heard that. In, in recent years, there's been some big changes with the distillery and they're putting out some really great stuff. Uh, the Classic 12-Year uh, is a really smooth whiskey. It's full-bodied, got lots of really interesting flavors, and that's $30. So those are some great options if you're looking to buy for someone or if you're looking to get started. Um, the, they're, they're very different whiskeys. So if you're looking at getting into the tasting, that's a good place to start as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me on. You have now changed my opinion and my outlook on whiskey. You've made me actually want to turn around, go this afternoon, get a couple of bottles and taste test with Frank. And push through that jet fuel. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mammoliti. See you at the next episode.